Welcome to the Bound to be Rich podcast, where I attempt to reverse engineer people who seem to be successful no matter the circumstances, so that you can apply those lessons to your own life. I'm your host, Ismail Hamed. One quick thing before we get started. I am starting my own email newsletter, and I would love for you to join it. It's going to be like a personal note for me to my friends of all the best things I've come across that month. From hacks and tips, interesting stories, products, books, ways to make money, and who knows what else. It's totally free, and if you don't like it, you can always opt out at any time, so there's no downside. The link to join is in the show notes, and I hope to see you on the list. In this episode, we are joined by Thomas Becker, a.k.a. Tamakasi, the CEO and founder of The Financial Cloud. Tom has a fascinating background with experience in sales, programming, and law. In my opinion, this rare combination gives him a unique perspective on financial markets. His focus now is the financial cloud, where there's a community of thousands of students learning how to trade profitably. We dig into his journey as a trader, and we discuss a ton of different things, like how he was able to predict many of the short squeezes that happened this year, what makes a trader successful, why do most people actually end up losing money, what are realistic returns to target, and much, much more. Let's dive in. Thomas, thanks so much for joining the show. I appreciate you making the time. Absolutely. So uh, it, it was hard. Like I said before, it was hard to find a lot of information on you, but I, I did some digging. Um, and I think I relate to you on a couple things. If I have this correct, you, you have a daughter, right? I do. And you've got another one on the way? Two weeks from now. Yeah, maybe today. Who knows? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> She's been having contractions, so I might get a call in the middle of this. You never know. Hey, it'll make for some great content. Take, take yeah, be like, oh, gotta go. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It was when I was having my second. I uh, had to reshuffle a lot of interviews that I had scheduled. Uh, thankfully, sure. everyone's pretty understanding. But my second one was a crazy story where um, literally was about to give birth on the way to the hospital. But we'll save that story for another time. Um, do you know what it is? The gender? Yeah, I'm gonna have another girl. So all girls. Nice, lucky guy, lucky guy. Um, I'm curious for someone working from home, because I have gone through this lately. How do you manage that as a father and then with a pregnant wife and now with another one coming? Because it was the second one was very challenging for me personally. It's I'm looking forward to it, but not handling the, the mix of work and with the wife. I mean, she works from home too, so and we have a daycare that you know one of our daughters will go to, but um we're going to kind of take it day by day and see how it develops. But, you know, I work all day and then at night I, I work as well because there's always like during the day we're trading and everything. And then at night is when we're doing the developing and it's a lot of time and having another kid is going to be extremely challenging to see if I could still do everything, but you we'll make it work. Can't. We always do. <laughs> you probably can't just say, you know, uh, the first couple of months is going to, I mean, from my experience, it was just really rough. And I think the hard part about, like I was looking at talking to my brother, uh, they're younger. You got all the free time in the world. And yeah. I, I reminisce about like time I wasted because now it's like, how do you squeeze everything into such a small, small limited amount of time? It's a, a challenge that I haven't really solved yet. It's like, I see, I wish I knew now what I knew when I was 24, you know, and I could do everything that I'm doing now and have it done then. But you, you can't do that. You can't go back in time. You get to take what you can now and you do the best with it, right? 
Right, right. What was your career before? Were you a developer before? Uh, I have a very... You could write a book about my careers, <laughs> I should say. Careers. <laughs> so, like, I have a dual Bachelor of Science in History and Political Science, but I actually went to college for computer science, um, but I hated the classroom learning style of trying to learn code in a classroom and, like, watching them write code on a chalkboard and stuff just doesn't work for me. Like, I have to do it and learn how to do it. Like, I'm a hands-on learner. So, um, I was originally going to be, like, when I was in the 1990s and early 2000s when I went to college, um, I figured internet law and coding law was going to be the future of law. So, I always wanted to be a coding lawyer. So, basically, I would learn computer science and then I would go get my advanced degree in law. And so, that was kind of like my career path I was going to take. Uh, Unfortunately, life doesn't always turn out exactly how you planned when you're a kid, but um, so I did two years of computer science and ended up switching my major to history and political science just to get my degree so that I could go to law school. Um, and then I took the LSAT, scored in the top 8%, I think I was 92, 92nd percentile, so did really well. And then I interviewed probably 10 different lawyers to make sure, like, because law school is not cheap. I was like, I'm about to spend 150 grand. Is this exactly what I want to do? So I interviewed a bunch of high-end lawyers, some corporate lawyers. Um, I had some connections and um, some corporations or some lawyers agreed to let me interview them. And it, I was kind of on the fence. So I was like, well, let me take a year and work. And law school will always be there if I want to go back. And I got into sales and I love sales. I was good at it did sales for 15 years before starting uh, the financial cloud. So um, that's been my career last 15 years. I've sold office supplies. I've sold, uh, I worked with the government and did government contracting for road repairs. I've done uh, oil, worked in the oil petroleum industry doing uh, maintenance products for uh, dealerships and ran the whole state of uh, central state of Wisconsin, uh, Madison area, had a big territory there where I was a manager the last couple of years. It's been a good experience, you know, managing a sales team as well as doing sales. You know, you meet a lot of people. Um, it's been a it's been a crazy career, though. That's a definitely a, a interesting intersection of different things. Are you do you code now too? Like, do you program? Very limited. Uh, to be honest, like over fifteen years, my coding skills have deteriorated. I haven't kept up with it. So I have a whole team that. I work with them and they, I tell them what I want. Um, you know, basically I do the algorithms and I lay them out and all that. And then they do it in the different languages that we need for whatever uh, medium that we need to present it on. So we have, you know, probably five different languages that we use between everything. Yeah. I haven't really met anyone with like for you to score that high on the LSATs and you're obviously clearly very intelligent. Uh, but then to not do that and go into sales <laughs> is not common. Um, well, have, yeah. the real reason I didn't do it is the lawyers are like, well, you're going to make a lot of money, right? But not at right away. So they're like, you're probably going to need to spend a couple of years working for the government, uh, making 40, 50 K a year, and you're going to be working a hundred, 120 hours a week. And then you can go into private and make, you know, 250, 300, but then you're going to work even more. And then when you're 40, 50, when you become a partner, then you start working less. And I was like, so I'm going to be working 100 hours a week, uh, not making a lot of money right out of college. And a 20-year-old 20, 20 me was like, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> so I turned out you could take the same amount of money in sales working 40, 50 hours a week. I was like, that sounds great. 
<laughs> do you have any general sales tips for people? Like, because that I found that to be a skill that applies in anything. Like, I'm sure you use it for the financial cloud as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, my biggest asset in, is always being truthful and putting myself in the other person's shoes. Like, okay, what would I want a salesman to say to me, basically? So you know, being personable, opening up, and not bullshitting people because people can. People can sense, you know, when, when you're bullshitting them and you're just trying to sell them something. If you genuinely believe in the product, that's the f- step one. So you have to believe first, because if you don't believe, there's no reason anyone else is going to believe. So I have found, like, I've tried to sell different things, and the things that I was really good at were the products that I've truly believed in. And when I tried to sell stuff that I didn't believe in, it was a short run. Like, I was like, I can't do this. I just don't. Like, I got it. Like, I think I had a three-month stretch where I tried to sell phone book advertising. And I was like, I can't do this. This just isn't a thing anymore. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So, all right. So, I'm, I'm, this might be a good segue because I'm curious about the origin story for the financial cloud. Um, like, how it yeah. started, where it came from. And specifically, I guess, to kick it off is... I was floating around these Discord groups. Um, I don't have to mention them by name, but there's a few of them that I was in. And I saw all the people that you have on your board and your team. I saw them in the other groups. You were more, I might be wrong. This is just my, my perception. It seemed like you were more under the radar in terms of like comparison, in comparison to them, uh, being out there as much. Yet you were able to recruit them and start this your own big thing. So I'm just curious, how did that start and how were you able to bring in all these great people? Especially if you seemed like you were more under the radar. I was more centralized in like two or three different groups. So maybe my, like my reach wasn't as far as them and I wasn't as big on social media until recently in the last year or so. So I've only been doing the social media, Twitter, um, Facebook, that kind of thing. And, you know, I've never really big into it, but you know, you kind of need it these days. So here we are. Um, so I always had great relationships with all of them. You know, I've been trading with them for years. Um, all of them that are on my team, at least two, three years for most of them. And some of them I've met more recently, um, just because now the word's getting out, obviously, um, with what we're doing. So we're attracting really bright and really good talent now. Um, so I've always had good conversations and We've had private groups that you probably aren't aware of, you know, maybe a hundred person discords that we just would chat with each other. So we've always had the idea of, hey, if everything, if anything ever uh, came up where we could work together, we always agreed to do it. So, you know, it originally started where it was just the newsletter where we're like, hey, you know, we can write a couple ideas every week. People can learn, people can make money. Um, and in return we can, you know, it's be like a hobby where we can make a little money as well. So it's like, if you're really good at something, you should never do it for free. It was something I was always taught. So, um, that was kind of where like, you know, I've been trading for five years and I've always wanted to do it full time. And so this was a way for us to and my wife mainly is like, well, you're trading. It's not guaranteed. She's like, if you're going to give up your full-time job where you know, I had, was doing really well and I was making plenty to live on where I didn't need to give it up. And, you know, I could have done it probably another 10 years and been happy, but this is way more fun doing this in my opinion. And I'm so happy I took the plunge in doing it. So before you started this, you were, I'm, I'm curious, cause this is not something I asked Thomas too. Um, when you're in these discord groups, like you mentioned, you were in a couple, you're more centralized, you're kind of just working for free, right? 
So what what was the yep. draw or the appeal to you? Because you were you were doing well in sales. You obviously had other stuff going on. Why were you willing to work for free there when you weren't willing to work at the law firm for low money? I think I just enjoyed it. I mean, it was just the the community. Um, I really enjoyed the community, hanging out with people. It's like uh, when you go bowling, you don't make money going bowling, right? You enjoy doing it. It's kind of the same mentality where it's like, hey, we're all hanging out, we're having fun, you know, we're making memes, and we're making money, and because, you know, we're sharing trading ideas and things like that, so it was a way to potentially make money through trading, but also having fun at the same time was the kind of the way I approached it. Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned the... Um so I'm I'm in a similar position where I've been getting most of my income from trading and I'm looking to buy a home, but I don't look at the trading income as uh, I can't count on it to pay nope. a 30 year mortgage, right? So it's all about generating like cash flow elsewhere that you know is coming in for sure to pay that mortgage. And then whatever you make, like, I've had some monster wins, but you can't count yep. on that. And it's just unpredictable when that's going to happen. Well, the thing is, is you can be profitable for years and then you have an unforeseen black swan event, you know, like COVID last year, like, like you could, there were signs that it was happening, but then all of a sudden one day, boom, limit down, limit down, limit down. And people got wiped out and having the trading income is great. And you could save and do that, but having a reliable income, building a business, you should always diversify. You should never put all your eggs in one basket. Um, having multiple streams of income is a hundred percent the way to go. And I think most people should have multiple streams of income. Even if you're working full time, you know, having that one full-time job is great, but what happens if you lose it and now you have no income? There's no backup. So, you know, trading is one stream of income. Uh, TFC is another, and you know, I have a couple other streams of income too that I do on the side. Um, like you what? want to secure your like what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, like crypto mining things like that. Nice. Uh, yeah, you know, we're thinking about diversifying into different things through TFC as well to protect the business. You know, we're talking about um, getting into swag. You know, I've, we're talking about we're designing different swag. We're probably not going to make any money on that, but you know, that's more to give back to the community because people have been asking us for some cool shirts and stuff. Um, but yeah, crypto mining is a big one that I've been getting more and more into uh you know you kind of see crypto people talking about it as the future it's super interesting so that's so, uh on that note i know i'm just following my curiosity um so sure. we, might, we might not follow a straight line here but i think i saw jante i was talking to him about mining did you partner with him on mining or did you guys do it separately uh we work together on it but we have separate we don't have like a business together on it we've talked about starting like a a crypto mining business together and we're still kind of figuring out the problem is it's so hard to get miners right now um with yes. the computer with the with the chip shortage it's like you have to pay so much money to get the good products right now it's like okay well we have a war chest where if the prices came down we would consider it but the the investment you would need to make based on prices and the, because you know crypto is so volatile it's good to start small and scale up as you make profits, but putting like half a million dollars into a crypto mining business where you're going to pay 200% retail price on a miner is, it's tough right now, to be honest with you. Agreed. And I remember going back and forth with him on it as well. And the reason that, and another reason I, I didn't pull the trigger is that the whole Ethereum mining going away soon. Yeah. Yeah. That gave me some pause. Yeah. You can mine other coins, but I just, I don't know them as well. So I'm like, you know what? Let me wait this out. I'm not going to pay 200% on a, on the graphics cards with Ethereum mining going away in the next year or two. It didn't make sense to me from that point of view. Well, exactly. I mean, you have 
staking where it's like, okay, why don't we just buy a bunch of Ethereum and stake it then? At the same time, then you you don't even need the equipment, exactly. and you're getting you know eight to ten percent back a year. Uh, excuse, excuse me, but um, I don't know. It's you know you always got to keep the the options open, but um, right now it doesn't seem like the it seems like you'd overpay and get an underdeveloped return. So it's like okay, what's the return on capital look like there? Should I just go buy a bunch of real estate that's booming right now and then flip that in a year? Um, you know, there's all different types of areas you can do that, and that's you know real estate is another one where I've made small investments in land around where I live. So you know when you see I have some good connections in the banking and real estate in, in Wisconsin. So sometimes if a property comes up, you know, on a foreclosure or something like that, which you haven't been able to do because people can't foreclose on stuff. But now that the moratorium is being lifted more and more, there's going to be a lot of good real estate uh, opportunities coming up. But, uh, you know, it's kind of similar to, to trading, but not quite the same, you know, in terms of investment and long term. Are you just buying land or are you buying things to position as rentals or what are you what are you looking to do in the real estate are you flipping uh currently right now i'm just doing uh land and development areas so basically uh you know central wisconsin things like that where people like to travel and develop around like water and things like that you can sometimes get some good deals and then you know in a few years when those you know you have big uh investors come and develop those areas you can flip the land for a nice premium you know sometimes two three hundred percent if you can get a good price on it you know entry price is just as important as exit price <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that that applies elsewhere too yeah. so how do you, you mentioned the limit downs during the covid and and the instability the instability of the income how do you guard against that like what what do you do or what's your advice to people or you made money trading do you take it out put it somewhere else do you use bigger size to make more money like how do you handle uh, making the money in trading. There's a great quote from Game of Thrones where they say chaos can be a ladder. And you can actually, wealth, generational wealth was made during the COVID crash as well as the rise up. So if you were positioning yourself to make money on the way down, you could then, if you caught the bottom, flip that money you just made and then ride it all the way back up. So, I mean, following some of the tools that we have now, I wish I had them then because we would have been a lot more profitable. We had some of the tools that we have then, but the retail tools as well as the tools that we're making is nothing like we've had in the last couple of years. You see a bunch of different services coming out now that are becoming more and more popular that are bringing the tools that institutions had. Now retail traders are having them and that's why it's becoming more popular. And that's why the retail investor now is so much smarter than they were five years ago, because now they actually have tools that they can day trade, they can swing trade more properly than it's just, you know, a lot of times it was like throwing a dart at a dartboard and hoping the market makers let us make money, you know? You ever feel that way? <laughs> yeah, still sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know what I'm, like, there's days where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Then like a day later, it's like, yeah, I just had a thousand percent win, you know? It's like, yeah, this feels great. The, the roller coaster of trading is, it's fun, um, but it can, it can get to you if you, if you have, if you don't, manage your risk properly. You know, risk profile is something I talk about a lot. And if you don't know your risk profile and you let your, your day trading affect your, your life, then you're doing it wrong. In my opinion, like if you're taking too much risk and it's personally affecting you and mentally affecting you, you need to scale back and you need to probably make a better plan in my opinion. Yeah, I think I mentioned this too in, in Tay's episode. And by the way, people that haven't heard Thomas Watts and John Tay Porter's episode, uh, you can scroll back and, and check them out. But I think I said 
to Jonte that um, you got to be a little sick in the head to be a trader because being able to handle these volatile swings where you're down 80% one day, up 1,000% the next day, um, it's mentally taxing. And I think that's, to me, the main appeal of something like the financial cloud is the community element, um, particularly like listening to you guys on the live chat. Um, having other people that, cause it's like a lonely thing that you're doing by yourself at home. So yeah, like, the community aspect is nice. It's, it's huge to me. Um, otherwise you, you kind of like second guess yourself. So having people that are level headed that you can listen to or bounce ideas off of is very valuable. Uh, yeah, I'm looking you, at the live chat right now. I think there's a couple hundred people in it. And how do you guys handle like, that now, by the way? Do you let anyone speak or is it just, uh, the traders that you have on your team speaking? So we originally had let everyone speak. It became too much. And then we switched to push to talk and that became too much. So now we have basically approved people. So, uh, the financial cloud team can talk as well as people that we have vetted that we believe their, their knowledge is beneficial to everyone hearing. So, um, we do have a, a we do have a chat where people can ask us questions and we'll answer them on voice. So it's just a voice Q and a, um, it's been working really well. We've been doing that for about a month and a half now. So as we've grown, we've had to grow with it and make changes. And sometimes, uh, I don't think everyone likes that they can't talk, but unfortunately, you know, you, you got to do what's best for the majority of people. So, you know, having the ability to still ask us text questions still works really well. And we've had some good responses and people have said the, the value of the information, um, has gone up tremendously. So. Agreed. And I, you mentioned this whole trend towards like power to the retail investor. Um, and that's kind of manifested itself itself in all these sh- uh, short squeezes that are have been happening. <laughs> so you're kind of like uh, becoming the short squeeze expert. It seems like yeah, you've really focused on this. And I, I've watched some of the videos that you made explaining it. So I'm curious to just hear you riff on, um, like it started with GameStop and AMC, and those yeah, were, I had massive wins with AMC. Like it was ridiculous. And yeah, we that- got an AMC. I think around four dollars, and we've been we we actually have a resident expert in amc um believe it or not he is a lawyer and codes so he took my dream job and did it for himself (laughs) that was kind of how i connected with him it was like dude you literally were doing what i was going to do so he made himself a ton of money on amc back in february march and then he kept he bought leaps at the time wrote it all the way down and then wrote it all the way back up and he still is holding you know he's kind of the the dfv the deep value of amc he's like the the guy for amc that you know he was the deep value was the guy for what is his name now rapid kitty or something yeah um but uh gamestop yeah i think he had to change his name because he had a swear word in it but (laughs) um he he made what 40 50 million off gamestop that's a crazy story like that blew up retail trading it really you know us catching that too was huge for all the people that were you know, when we were still a little bit newer, because that was right when we were starting out and right when we were testing out a lot of, that was right when we were testing out the short squeeze stuff. Um, and it worked really well. It's exciting. So do you think that that's like, those those are like one-time fads? Or do you think that it's it's now spreading to all these other stocks? Like, I don't even know what these companies are anymore. There's like so well, many Well, short squeezes are not a new thing. GameStop, just because everyone was at home trading, became a phenomenon. And with Reddit um, and the Wall Street bets, you know, putting a pretty much putting a flashlight on it a beacon on it um it blew up in the media but short squeezes have been around for since the stock market's been around since you've been able to short you know back in the day i think i still think volkswagen is the greatest short squeeze of all time i don't know if you're familiar with the volkswagen squeeze um but 
I remember my first squeeze I was part of was actually Tilray. It was one of the most exciting days. I was literally working. So I was working for a food delivery company um, and I was delivering food and I'm sitting there on my Robinhood app. This was my first, like literally, I think like one of my first months of trading when I'm like the new guy uh, years ago. And I'm like, well, so it's like, oh, Tilray, it's at $30. Oh, it's at $100. Oh, it's at $300. Same day. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? It got halted at like 150 It opened up at 250 got halted, opened up at 300 And then it, by the end of the day, it was back at $100. I was like, how do people trade this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's, I'm that's sitting my, there. It's just crazy. That's my next question. And I'll link to the video um, for everybody in the show notes of you explaining short squeezes. But how do you find – I guess it's a two-pronged question – can you find them? If so, like, what do you look for? And how do you avoid getting caught in the crossfire? Because eventually a lot of them drop significantly. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I actually have great recent stories on this. You know, we found just recently SPRT, ATER, um, specifically, those are really good short squeezes. And we're following some some other ones um, currently as well. So uh, for a short squeeze to happen, you need to have people that have shorted it, right? So basically, if you're unfamiliar with shorting, is say, if you go to a bank and you take out money, um, you have to pay that back with interest, right? So when you're shorting a stock, let's say you own the stock and you're not doing anything with it, you can loan that share out to someone and they can do whatever, but eventually they have to give the share back to you. And then you charge them interest for however long they hold it, right? So typically what we look for is a high short interest. And then we want to look at what that interest rate is called cost to borrow. So let's say like for SPRT, for instance, we're like, oh my God, this thing is 60, 70% shorted. And it also has a 300% annual short interest. So every day someone holds it, it's costing them 1% and the stock's going up. So it went from $4 to $8 to $10 to $20. And (laughs) I remember, this is a great story. I haven't told anyone this, but, um, one of my traders called me like 10 minutes in aftermarkets and he's like, Hey Tom, it's at $25 after hours right now. I have a rather sizable position. Um, should I sell it right now? I'm up huge. Cause I don't want to lose the money. And I was like, it's going to go. <laughs> I was like, but I hate, you, I was like, I hate you... to tell you not to, not to sell it. And then it doesn't go. But I was like, everything in my blood and my, all my, my spider senses, I was like, it's going to go next day. It hit $60. And he's like, he made $160,000 on it. I was, it's crazy. So, we had reason, multiple reason, people make a hundred grand on that squeeze. And which stock was that specifically? Uh, support.com. Support.com. And it, so that's actually, G-R-E-E now. Yeah, it was 100% shorted, by the way, when it got switched to G-R-E. It's a crazy thing. You know, some people got caught in that because they kept seeing, you know, I even got caught a little bit in it because I was playing with some runners on it. But, uh, you know, I made a ton of money on it. You know, I turned 2K into 50K on it. You know, it was a big story. Um, But how do you know when the end, I guess, is probably what you're probably wondering as well. Typically, when you get those major gap ups like that, um, and then it becomes plastered all over the internet. That's when all the shorts are like, yeah, I'm going to short this thing down even more. And that's why you saw it go from 50, 60%. And the short interest went down to probably like 43%. But then it went all the way up to 95%, 100% because the shorts just kept tacking it. Because once the institutions, there's like Delta and Gamma hedging as well. So once the institutions know that the top is in and they don't have to cover anymore, they'll just short it all the way down. So, I mean, people that shorted at $50, $60 made a killing on it. 
because I think GR, I'd have to look at where now, but I mean, that thing's down probably 70% since the top, and so people made a killing on it. So you can make money, like I said, on the way up and the way down, as long as you can know the pivot points is the big part. It, it can get complicated, too. Like, I remember when GameStop went crazy, I actually opened a small put position on it, and the stock went up the next day, but my put position went up as well. And I think a yeah. lot of people don't understand. Like, I guess the IV went up significantly. So Implied volatility, yeah. yeah. So as something moves faster and faster, the options pricing have to increase to account, to basically account for that. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I remember Tay actually put an incredible amount of money into puts on GameStop, and the stock didn't go up. Or didn't really go down, but he still was profitable on it, same similar to what you did. Uh, he's like, "Dude, I made money on this, and the stock's up ten dollars." I was like, "How?" <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why I was like, "You know, let me sell this because uh, it doesn't make sense." But let me just get out of this because it's not going in my direction. Um, so you mentioned that small account challenge uh, where you took that two thousand. I think it was up to fifty at one point, um, yep. and that was primarily for short squeezes, which we just talked about. But almost everyone I talk to, and this is why I like you guys. You guys are very authentic and real, and I think. People have these images of grandeur with trading. Oh, I'm going to make all this money right away. Yeah, that's a once-in-a-year thing. Like, it doesn't happen every day. But that's why almost every successful trader I talk to have stories of blown accounts, uh, especially when they first start out. So I guess, can you talk to people about the reality of learning to trade? Um, yeah. Is it inevitable that you blow some accounts in the beginning while you learn? And why did people blow these accounts in the beginning? And how do you avoid that? Yeah, one, uh, my first newsletter, I wrote uh, basically the cycle of trading for a new new trader. You know, the seven stages of uh, trading denial, I call it. <laughs> but basically, you start out. You know, you're making a you you do your education, you make a plan, you make your first trade, it goes well, you make some money, and it gets addicting. So you eventually you get so comfortable in your trades that you take more risk. You take. Uh, larger positions with shorter time periods so you, you're all of a sudden opening yourself up for major losses and you get overconfident and you make a giant play and it doesn't work out and then you blow up your account because you're one you refuse to believe you're wrong two you're down so much you say f it i can't lose anymore i might as well hold up now and basically you're you're praying to the stock gods that you know you're like f it I, I might as well write it out now and then you're like all right i'll sell it 95 percent for 95 percent loss and then it always happens where it goes up the next day right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's just it's a psychological thing where people they get comfortable and complacent and they want to take more risk because they're like one they get impatient or two it's going well they, they're saying i'm going to put my foot on the gas and then they end up burning the car up you know or blowing a gasket or something like that. So, you know, I, I have stories where I've blown accounts when I first started trading. That's actually why I started TFC was because I was working full time. Um, I didn't have the tools to sit there and look at my phone for five minutes and make a, a profitable trade because I was like, oh, this looks really good just looking at my phone. Um, if I didn't have time to do the research, how am I supposed to really know that's a good trade? So I would get into a trade and then I would come out of a meeting or something and see I'm down 20% and be like, oh man, I should probably cut my losses. It's just, I didn't have the information um, available that I would need to make profitable trades while working full time. So I was like, what can I do to do that? So that was the idea with the newsletter is give people the plan written out. They can follow the trade plan. And then eventually I was like, well, what if we could make something that would basically trade for you, right? 
Now there's algorithms out there that have certain win rates and, you know, they trade shares and stuff like that. But what if we could make an auto trader that could trade options at a high profitability rate and you would never have to do anything. You just hook it up, tell it exactly your risk profile, what you're comfortable with, you know, and go from there. So everything that we're doing in terms of the coding size is and is working towards that end goal. Um, so all the algorithms we make, all the stat tracking we make is to improve that. And now a quick message from our sponsors. If you are a trader or interested in trading, I strongly recommend you check out the Financial Cloud. I've personally spent a lot of time in the last couple of years learning trading, following different people, and joining different groups. But as soon as I joined the Financial Cloud, I was blown away and immediately knew this was the best resource out there. It was like finding a diamond in the rough, especially in the world of trading where there's a lot of charlatans out there. I'm such a fan that this is actually the only ad where I personally reached out and requested that they let me promote them. So that should say something. I attribute a lot of my own success in trading to the financial cloud, and I love the team there, so I'm more than happy to help spread the word. I've also got several of my family and friends to join. My favorite feature is the live chat. So for literally the entire market day, I'm listening to professional traders calling out plays and describing what they're seeing. There are also algorithms they've built that notice unusual activity and instantly call them out to alert you. And I'll admit I was skeptical about bots at first until I saw how effective they were. So believe it or not, these plays are now the core of my trading. And of course, there's also the Discord group with a huge active community, nonstop education and classes offered as well. Quite honestly, they do not charge enough for all the value they provide. Sign up via the link in the show notes to get a seven day free trial and 50% off your first month, or you can just use promo code RICH, R-I-C-H. And within that time period, you'll know if it's worth it. In my experience, it's been a total no-brainer. All right, let's get back to the show. Now, obviously, that sounds like the holy grail, like having automatic yes, trading. Yes, the holy all, grail. But you can imagine people are skeptical about stuff like that. Like how sure. they're... they're naturally like just not how, how can a computer trade better than like smart people um so i i guess obviously it's proprietary the algorithm uh but generally how do you address that how can i tr- trust this machine with my money to trade for me like people fail all the time well machines don't have emotions attached to them one of the biggest machines aren't impatient and they don't have emotions. Those are the two biggest things that hold traders back is their emotions, um, as well as their ability to not be patient. You know, even my own team comes to me sometimes when they're having a bad day and they're like, Tom, I had this great plan. And, you know, and we call it paper hands basically where they didn't trust their own plan because they got impatient. You know, they see their position size down 20% and then the trade actually follows their plan to the T, but because they got scared and they closed uh, closed out their position just to see that position rise up, you know, a few days later, you know, we're all human. You know, when you see yourself down, you're like, I should cut my losses now instead of, because you're like, what if it doesn't go up? What if my plan doesn't work? You know, not trusting yourself is a big human flaw and a machine doesn't know whether to trust itself or not. It just knows what to do. It's like, okay, this is the plan. I'm going to execute it. So like having proper algorithms is the number one thing we can do. So all the stat driving, all the 
the all of the machine learning that we're doing, everything that we're doing, all the flow crunching, the technical analysis, the news sentiment, all that stuff that we're putting into our algorithms um, is to say, okay, we know this one has an 80% win rate. We know on average it moves this much. We know on the losses it moves down this much. So then we can set proper stop losses, proper take profits, um, and so on and so forth. So when it just comes down to math and data crunching, um, you just play the statistical probabilities. It's like when you're counting cards, you just play in the statistical probabilities, right? When you go to a casino. I mean, the stock market's not much different than a casino. You're just playing the probabilities. Like technical analysis, you know, like rising wedges, cup and handles, all have statistical probabilities they're going to work out. So you know how to position size properly and how to stop how do you have your stop losses properly based on the statistics? So that's why like math and computer coding go so well with the stock market that, you know, a lot of people, some people are emotional traders and momentum traders and things like that. I'm more of a, a data driven trader. You know, I like the, the data behind it. I like to understand why something happens. Is it possible to come up with a formula to beat the market or is that just like an unattainable goal? I think we already have it, to be honest. I just think uh, properly using it is sometimes what we have to do. So, I mean, most of our algorithms are at a 70% win rate. And people are like, what's a win rate, right? So that means 70% of the time, you're going to probably make 5 to 10% on an option, right? People always have this, like you talked earlier in the show, about a grandeur of making the 1,000, 2,000%. Like, like I've had trades where I've made... 25,000% on them before. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I have the record in the Discord. I think it's 28,000 on a trade. $800 to a quarter million overnight. That's a, that's wow. a good story. In one day. But, yeah, overnight. So which, which trade was that? That was one of, that was actually when I first started out. That's what got me addicted. So I've told the story a lot, but maybe not to your listeners, but when I first started out, uh I saw basically a falling wedge on Cigna and I was like, Oh, this looks nice. You know, I'm going to buy a couple hundred contracts. They're six cents each. Right. And so I bought, I think it was like 122 contracts and next day it went down and I was like, well, that was a waste of a thousand dollars. Right. I might as well hold on now. Right. (laughs) Hope and pray. Right. And that night Trump came out and signed a new health insurance law and all of the health insurance stocks went out up, 15% 15% overnight. So Cigna went up like $30. So now my seven cent contracts were $22 a piece. And I had 120 of them. I, I was like, I'm going to go buy a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure you were more sensible. <laughs> no, I paid off my wife's student loans and a bunch of my loans and I YOLO'd 100k and lost that. At, so that, that's how you blow up an account is you get overconfident. So I took half of the money out and then I traded the other half and I ended up blowing up that account. And that was when I took, I stopped trading after that because I was like, once you lose 100k, that's, uh, that changes you. So I don't look at numbers like I do now. I did back then. Like numbers to me are just like numbers on a screen now. It's weird. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a video game and you have to get detached. But I, I had a similar story and I haven't shared this before. Um, I actually, that I don't know if you remember the day Fastly dropped like crazy. Yeah. I had a ton of puts on Fastly expiring oh, that nice. week. And I think it was a Thursday that that happened. Um, and it was a similar story. It was like a few cents and it ended up being like $20, $30 a, a contract. So it was a massive six-figure win. But similar to you, all right, yeah, you saw the falling wedge, but it was really news-driven. 
So like, did yes. you look at that and say like, I got lucky or did you look at that and say, Hey, I know what I'm doing. No, I hundred percent got lucky. So the, <laughs> let's let, let's call it what it is. You know, like it wasn't me being a good trader. It was me winning the lottery, right? That was me with a scratch off ticket and then hitting jackpots across the board. Um, in no way is that normal. And the short squeezes is kind of like the closest thing you can get to predicting stuff like that. It never always plays out exactly like you think it would. So, you know, no one has like, just like a book, like, Hey, look at this. This is going to, you know, I don't have the, the 2020 sports almanac from back to the future that I don't have a, a, a I don't have like, I can't predict the future. So, you know, you do the best with what you're given. And that's why I, I scale in and I scale out of stuff. So like, Same. for instance, like SPRT, like, yeah, I held a large position overnight, but I had already taken half my profits out before that. Cause you know, for me, the rest of those things, the rest of those profits, it was free money to me. So it's like, I had already made money, my original position size back and above that. So now what I'm, I'm playing what I call runners, right? So that's where you got to risk adverse and hedge yourself. Like, yeah, you could be a hundred percent confident. Something's going to run overnight, you know, even just like today, like Palantir, like Palantir ran hard yesterday and I was like, I bet you it's going to keep running, but I still sold half my position yesterday, even though I thought it was going to keep running. And look, you know, it went up a little bit today and then I think I saw it crash just a few minutes ago, but you know, I had already sold my position. I closed out the rest when I was happy. And then when I saw it broke my support, I, I closed the rest and I never look back at it. You never look back at a trade and FOMO because getting, when you FOMO and you get back in a trade, it usually never works. Right, but I just you know, walk away. Yeah, but but what you just outlined is someone that has experience. Like those, um, I don't know if it's a good thing to start your trading career with a massive win like you did. It's kind of like it's though, not. Yeah, <laughs> like you you don't want to go to the casino the first time you can and make a ton of money because then you get addicted and you just proceed to lose a lot of it. But uh, it seems like you stuck with it and you learned. So like the way you just explained scaling and scaling out, it's exactly what I do. And I think a lot of people fall in the trap of like they have a thousand dollars and they go all in on like one Tesla contract. Yeah, you, you can't scale in, you can't scale out, you can't really like do any position sizing, and that's where people get stuck. So I, I just I don't know if you have any general parameters of advice for traders of uh, you want to be able you don't you don't want to play things that so when you're starting out, people want to play with real money. They want to feel like they have skin in the game, right? So maybe you start with a small amount, $500,000, but you should also paper trade. You should always paper trade when you're starting out. Until you can be a profitable paper trader, you shouldn't really use real money. Because if you're not profitable with fake money, what makes you think you're going to be profitable with real money, right? But if you feel like you got to learn the hard way, like most people, I would say probably 95% of people, maybe that number is a little high, but most people feel like they got to use real money. And you know the cost of education is not much similar then going to college, you might spend ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars before you actually learn how to trade properly. For me, you know, I think my first year I lost forty thousand dollars. Like it was a very expensive life lesson. Um and that's when, you know, I hit the big win and then all of a sudden I was super profitable and you know, I've been profitable since, but I also took six months off learned, studied, paper traded until I was profitable again that I felt comfortable coming back. And then I started developing all the tools I needed to be even more successful because I was like, there's not enough tools out there um, for the retail trader. And I was like, well, if they're not out there, then I need to make them. Hmm. So, What do you think is um, realistic guidance on returns for people? Like everyone sees these thousand percent returns. Like realistically, what I mean, can you expect to make? People under need to understand like 10 to 15% annual returns is what Wall Street expects. 
So if you're making 10 to 15% a day, that is insane. You know, I made a video, um, it's my number one video I ever made is compound interest adds up over time. You know, if you're making, we have a lot of guys actually in the group doing what they call 3% a day uh, challenges. So they're like 3% a day added up over a year on a $10,000 account. You could be a millionaire by the end of the year if you're making 3% a day. Like people don't understand. It doesn't take huge wins. It's consistency that's going to make you money. And when you're consistent and you stick to your rules, like people need to say like, hey, I need to make sure I don't lose more than 10% on a trade because then I only need to have a 10% win to make it back. You lose 50% on a trade, you have to have a 100% win to make that back. Like the more you lose, the harder it is to continue. So like I've had days where I just lose 10% and there may be a good trade later that day. And I've said, you know what? I'm not mentally right to trade anymore today. I'll come up with a plan and... I'll come back the next day, and the next day I'm up 20%. I don't. I forget about that bad day. I don't think about it ever again. But if you have a day where you lose half of your account, that changes you. And not many traders can come back from that, and they just give it up entirely. They just say, this isn't for me. I'm just going to go to Fidelity and give them my money. And there's nothing wrong with going to Fidelity or, or whatever broker you want and giving them your money. I would say most people should do that. You know, Trying to trade your own money is not an easy thing. Um, we try to make it easier for people, but you have to understand it's still incredibly hard to be consistent. Um, and that's why investing in yourself over anything else is probably the best investment you can make in, in education wise. And that's why like we focus so much on not only free education, but you know, is the best education we can possibly make. I love that you talked about the compounding, the small ones. Actually, uh, that's my most viral TikTok video ever. Is where I talked about you could take a thousand dollars. I mean, this is extreme. Obviously, it's just a mathematical uh, example. But you could take a thousand dollars, turn it into a million in a hundred days by just getting seven percent a day. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the problem is trading is very psychological. So you have a thousand dollars that you start with, you make seven percent, and you don't want to sell it because it doesn't feel like a lot. It's like oh, I only made seventy bucks. It's nothing. And I, I got a great story on this for you when you're done. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think I just want to set you up and say. Um, the small wins consistently add up to a lot. The problem is people don't feel like it's a big win and they they hang on for more and they lose. Like people are up 80% and they don't sell. 80% so you, is a lot are on you, one trade. <laughs> you can track this. So are you in, you're in my Discord. Can you see the rapid flow challenge room? Are you, do you have it up right now? Uh, I don't have it up right now, but I can check while you, while you explain it. Well, either way, we have, we've made an algorithm that detects basically um, extreme buying and stocks, right? And we found out these generally return five to ten percent returns all the time if you catch them. They're very in and out five minute trades, right? So one of our users, um, which I think you should interview, I think it'd be a good interview for you. His name's Dan. He's like, "Well, eff it. I'm just gonna take my account and only trade those, right? And I'm gonna I'm gonna take profits at five to ten percent every trade, and." He took it to the extreme where he's putting half his account in every trade, right? But he's done it for a month right now. He started with $10,000. He's got a log of all of his trades. He's at $39,000 after one month. And he even has 
over a year, if he continues to do this, he will have 5,000% returns over the year on his entire account. There's nothing out there like that. That's like, like, it's so exciting when you see all this work and time you put in to data crunching algorithms work out, and then you're not even the one using it. You see someone else do it. You're like, damn, son, that's amazing. <laughs> well, so I think that's why the what you said about the computer is a unemotional machine. That's, to me, the real value of having an algorithm uh, it's just math, right? A lot of people wouldn't take the gains at 5% because mm-hmm. it's not enough. But like you said, and I say this all the time, <laughs> I remember when 10% a year was like, oh my God, overperformance. And now yeah. don't take, take, they don't take 35% 7 to 10% in, in your 401k yeah. annual gains. People go gaga over that. Right. Because over 50 years, that's going to be your retirement. Like If you can do that over a year's time, make your retirement, that's crazy. If you could do 10% a day, you don't understand. Like I did the math like, and I was like, I was like, I need to do this with 100k because with 100k, you could turn 100k in a month into four million dollars. Twenty-two trading day. days, ten percent a day. It's insane. And to be honest with you, I don't know if you disagree with me. I feel like um, literally almost every trade I have ever entered, I have been up ten percent yes. at, at one point. Yes, you just, don't, you just don't take it. That's the problem. That's, that's why, like, I made the small account rules i was like you when you're day trading your goal in a day trade should be five to ten percent when you're swing trading maybe 20 30 percent you know but honestly your, your goal on every trade should be five to ten percent because most of the time when you get in a trade it's for a reason and it's generally probably a good trade that you get into but one you hold too long you don't have a plan and you don't know when you're supposed to take profits or your stop loss. And that's what burns people is they don't have a plan when they get in the trade. They just see, you know, people saying, GME, GME, I should buy this. But then they're like, I don't know when to sell. And well, that, that, yeah, that, that's the other thing with the, the these services that have like call outs and stuff like that. It's hard to, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's hard to tell people when to buy and when to sell. It's like a unique It thing. is. Yeah. It's again, it comes down to everyone's different, right? Everyone has a different idea of what they want to do. So it's like, how do you tailor make a call out service when everyone on your service is different? And so, you know, I try to give people ideas and I say, Hey, here's what we think it can do. Um, but here's what your stop loss, you know, we do price targets and stop losses and things like that when we can, and, you know, we chart it out, use technical analysis, but you know, nothing's ever a hundred percent perfect. So if you have in your mind that you're just trying to make five to 10% in general, most ideas that are going to do that for you, I think like the, our newsletter win rate, you know, with 10% gains is like 90%. It's, it's insane. Um, but how many people, like you said, take profits at 10%? Nobody. It's like everyone says, "Oh man, if I had Bitcoin back at a thousand, you would have sold it at five thousand. Like you, no one's going to hold that all the way up to a hundred thousand. I think it's just a pipe I have, dream. I have that. <laughs> I have that crypto story too, with Dogecoin. I owned a hundred thousand Dogecoins at, or what was it? I think it was a couple hundred thousand when it was like point oh oh two, and I sold it at point oh oh three, <laughs> and of course it hit seventy cents. Right. So that was. Yeah. That you know, I would have been, it made me a Dodge millionaire, but I sold it for five thousand dollars profit. Do you dwell on that afterwards? Like, oh my god, I missed that. Or I have so many of those stories, <laughs> where it's like if I would have held one more day, you know, like I had, I had Amazon calls one day. I sold for two hundred dollar loss, and the next day it went up one hundred fifty dollars. I would have made two hundred thousand dollars. You know, it's like how you just 
torturing yourself by doing that. You know, if you live in the fat, if you live in the past, you'll never be able to make it into the future. You know, if you're always tripping over your own past, you're never going to progress into the, into the, in the future. And so, yeah, in reality, you're still going to think about it, but, um, letting it affect you, you should use it more as a learning experience than more of, oh, that sucks kind of experience, right? It's like, okay, analyze it. What should I have done to prevent this from happening again? That's what you should take from it. Well, what would you have done differently with Doge? Scale out? Uh, probably I mean, the same thing. Yeah, you got to <laughs> In reality, I, we just, here's the thing. Like, you, we just talked about taking 10% profits, and now you're like, how do I prevent myself from not taking the 200,000? But I would rather, like, it's like baseball. Would you rather have people that hit for 500% but they always get singles and doubles or would you rather have someone that hits 100 and or like 0.15 but always hits home runs it's like you got to do the stats and the stats say you'd rather have 500% hitters because then you're going to be consistently driving runs yeah you're going to have those games where you hit 10 home runs but then you're going to have those games where you hit none so it's, it's it's an all or nothing prospect right you know and having a win rate and being consistent is really what the name of the game, and that's how you become a profi- uh, a profitable trader is consistency. Right. Um, you, you mentioned not everyone should be trading, right? So, I guess who is the financial cloud suited for? If if you think that most people should not be trading actively, well, I mean, if we get our golden grail, uh, <laughs> if we get our holy grail of the auto trader, it wouldn't really matter because we would trade for you. Um, but I mean. We're for the people that want to manage their own money, right? So we have the education and then we have the tools where if you use the education, you could be successful. But if you don't educate yourself where you don't know how to use the tools, then then we're probably not for you, right? Um, if you just want us to trade for you right now, yes, we are working towards that. But right now, nobody can trade for you, right? So, and if you just try to do things without understanding, it's never going to work out, you know? There's the the phrase, you know, give the man a fish he eats for a day, teach a man to fish he he eats for a lifetime, and that's really what we're about. We're we're about teaching you to fish, and then giving you the the bait that you can go catch a big fish with, right? So that's what we're about is teaching you to fish, and then giving you the fishing line and the bait with the tools that we have. What do you think are the main selling points, or what have you heard from people? What are the main benefits of the financial cloud? Like I said, for me. I love just trading and having the voice chat on all day because I'm like sometimes I'm looking at the same play and I hear how you guys analyze it. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't FOMO into this one. I think it keeps keeps me grounded and doesn't feel as lonely. So, like, what do you think or what have you heard as the most popular feature? Uh, I mean the the algorithms are obviously incredibly popular. The small account is incredibly popular. I think that's the small account always gets popular because people have you know, one to two thousand dollars, they they dream about turning it into a hundred thousand, right? So that's always gonna be popular. Um uh, but then you have your 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 big timers that have the large accounts that, you know, they just want to use the service and in all likelihood ninety percent of our subscribers don't really say anything. They're just lurkers. Probably, you know, I don't hear much from you, but I know you lurk around because it's just something in the background that is providing, you know, education as well as focused ideas. So for me personally, like I love the tools. I love the community for me. Obviously I live in it. I breathe in it. I do it every day. The community for me is, is huge. You know, building that uh, community where we don't yell at each other. We don't make fun of each other. You know, if someone has a big loss, you don't 
it's not Wall Street bets where you're like, haha, lost porn, right? No, it's like, hey, what happened? What can you what what happened? You know, how do we fix this? How do we prevent this from going forward? Talk to me. Like and everyone's super supportive in that way. And and that's what I love is we're all here for, with the same goal. We want to make money, right? So the community and the tools are how you do that. For someone so focused on that and doing this the right way, uh, how do you feel? Because there's definitely a trend now, and I see this all the time. People start their own services, and they don't even know what they're doing, but it's like a cash grab. There's a lot of shady people in this field, which makes it harder for the right people to succeed, I would think. Um, I think the big thing, I didn't make this for my subscribers. The TFC is for me because I personally use it. I want to make something that I can use that makes me better at trading. And if I personally, like I said earlier, you know, one of the first things we talked about, if I personally love the product, you know, then other people will too. And so like, because I personally use it, I need to make it the best I possibly can. And if I love it, then others will probably love it too. And that's, that's my core philosophy in life. Like that's what my sales philosophy is. If I love something, it's a great product. People will want it. You know, there's a reason why people love iPhones because it's a great product, right? You know, that's what our whole goal is to make <laughs> the best product there is. And we'll probably never stop. There's no such thing as perfection, right? But there is the, the chase to achieve it. And that's, that's what we just strive for every day. Yeah, that's a, a perfect full circle moment. Uh, before I ask my two final wrap-up questions, I ask everybody, um, do you have any other interesting success stories or, or like things with members? You mentioned people making 160000 in a day, the short squeezes, or the guy that was doing the 5% a day uh, and he made 10000 to whatever it was, 30000 in a month. Is there any other cool success stories or member stories like that? I mean, the short squeezes are always super fun. Um we're always on the on the lookout for those. Those are what provide the flashy headlines, right? Like, hey, I turn ten thousand into a hundred thousand. You know, I think I don't know if Tay told you he turned fifty k into a million in a week. So <laughs> that was wild. Yeah, that was wild. <laughs> I mean, he disappeared see, after that. <laughs> well, why would he need to trade after that? Like, exactly. uh, we have this running. Me and me and Avery talk about this a lot. You really probably only need to make ten to twelve trades a year. Um, you do your research, those well-focused research plays, if you do them right, you know, you could be extremely profitable, 500, 100,000% annual gains if you only take the trades that you have the full confidence in. But being able to turn it off is something that people almost can never do. Like it's the over-trading mentality. They always feel like they got to have skin in the game. And I've been trying to teach people that, but even me, I still am human. I love having skin in the game you know i'm a i love gambling i love going to the casino so but there's a difference between having skin in the game and having your entire account in, in the game so like if you have a hundred thousand dollar account and you know the market's going to be like crap but you have to have money in it okay we'll put a thousand bucks in it right if you have a thousand dollar account put a hundred dollars in it but you don't have to have your whole account in there i have this you know i usually keep no matter what my account 30 percent cash for what i call black swan events for the GMEs, for the short squeezes. Like, if you don't have the the buying power available to catch those huge market-moving events, um, what are you supposed to do when those happen? So having, you know, that war chest available is just as important as having profitable trades because you, you got to have money to make the trades because if you blow up your account and then all of a sudden the huge winner comes but you don't have money to play it, what are you supposed to do in that situation? I think that's where a lot of people struggle. 
they have they feel like they have to go like you said go all in on a tesla call with their entire account yeah i have a friend that does the same thing where he everyone has the fomo so he puts a tiny bit in so that he gets rid of the yep. fomo but he doesn't take a crazy risk like you were saying i think it's great advice um all right so if i go back to uh people in your high school uh, your friends or teachers, anyone around you at that point, and I and I talk to them about you. Would they be surprised at where you are now, or they'd be like, "Oh, that guy, he always had it in, and he was always different." Uh, I don't think they would be surprised. Um, I mean, I was always kind of a nerd growing up, so I mean, I'm tall and athletic, and I played a lot of sports. But really, you know, my passion has always been like nerdy things. Like, like I started the chess club in high school. I I uh, was part of the computer science club, but I was also, say, on the football team. So I was like kind of that weird nerd jock before that became like that was this was before that kind of stuff was not popular. So um, I always tended more towards the nerdy stuff, even though I've always been super athletic. But um, it's just for me, I get more enjoyment out of it. Right. Video games and coding and all of that. Uh, we talked a lot about money. Um, but obviously it's not the only thing important uh, in a rich life. So what, what's a rich life to you? I don't need a billion dollars. I wouldn't say no to a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to me, having enough money to do what I want to do with my family and my friends and to live comfortably and not worry about paying the bills, that's what life's about, in my opinion. You know, if, if my wife wants to take a vacation, I want to be able to afford that. If my daughter wants to buy... A video game, I want to be able to provide that. If she wants to go to Harvard, I would love to be able to say yes to that. Like saying no for monetary reasons to something you know you should be able to say yes to hurts you more than anything, in my opinion, especially as a father, as you probably know. You know, being having to say no to your kid just because you simply couldn't afford it is something I never want to have to say. No, I totally agree. And um, an interesting anecdote is I had Disney calls and I wrote it from like 178 to 187 uh, last week or the week before and taking those profits and taking my kids to Disney World in a couple of weeks. So I think it's important to <laughs> – Disney looks really good right now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it does. But I, I was like, you know what? Let me just take this and go to actually Disney World and make some memories. Well, that's a good point. Like when do you take money out, right? You should, yeah. If you never take it out, you're never. It's not real profits until you put it until it hits your bank account. Like that's something also new traders should learn. Until it hits your bank account and you take it out of your account, there's always ways to mess it up. <laughs> so you should always have, like I said, a plan. Say, hey, when I hit this much, I'm going to take out this much. Like with my small accounts, I usually have a couple because, it's like, okay, well, if I hit 10k, I'll take it back down to 2k and I'll start over again, right? And then I have money that I can go do stuff with, but. What happens if you leave the 10K in there and you continue going and then you blow up your account and then boom, you're like, dang, I should have taken that out. Well, F yourself, take it out. <laughs> What's your plan with the one that you have now where it went from 2 to 40? Uh, well, I actually started back over and I took that out. And so we started a new account on Monday. Uh, it's kind of where I started because it's been a hard week to trade, but uh, we're doing good with it and we're going to continue with it. But you know, when you make that, you got to take at least half of it out, right? So... Yeah, it's what um what would you want to hand people off to? What do you mean? Like it, as we wrap up the show, is there anything you want to point them to? I know you're active on Twitter now. Um yeah, you the can financial cloud. Tamikaze one on Twitter, uh the financial dot cloud is our website. We're also on Discord dot slash the financial cloud, so real easy to find us. Um 
We also have the official Twitter account, official Instagram account, TikTok, Facebook. Uh, we're most popular on Twitter, obviously. That seems to be like FinTwit is the big thing. But, you know, Instagram and those other TikTok is becoming bigger and bigger. So we're, we're exploring um, doing more and more on there as well. I, w- I will link to all of that in the show notes. And I also recommend people check out the YouTube. I find that uh, it's more valuable content there because you can go more in depth into things. So YouTube uh, is you, great. You, yeah, you've got the short we, we do. Video. Uh, f- Free classes every Sunday night, free wrap-ups every day after market close at 9 Eastern. So if you want to check out the Financial Cloud YouTube, uh, you can probably just search the Financial Cloud and it will, should come up right away. You know, it's very popular. We have 8,000 subscribers and, you know, people are always subscribing to it. So if you want to go subscribe and get the no- notifications, uh, it's always free. We don't do any ads or anything. It's all free. It's because I believe in education. Awesome. Tom, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. One quick reminder before I let you go to join my email newsletter. It's going to be like a personal note for me to my friends of all the cool things that have come across that month. From hacks and tips, interesting stories, products, books, ways to make money, and who knows what else. It's totally free, and if you don't like it, you can always opt out anytime. The link to join is in the show notes, and I hope to see you in the list. And there you have it. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to leave a review. I may even give you a shout out and read yours out on the show. For any and all resources that we discussed, check out the show notes or head on over to boundtoberich.com. Until next time.